morning. It's a joy to be with you as we open up the Word of God. We're continuing our study through the book of Colossians, and we've we've come to the practical session section, excuse me, of Colossians in chapter three, beginning in chapter three, where where Paul is after speaking of the glories and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in response to the false teachers who are coming in. And after dealing with their false teaching specifically, he begins this section in chapter 3 where he is he's giving practical teaching. And he's talked about now in the fact that we are all new creations in Jesus Christ. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a new identity in Christ. We're to live differently in this world. Our belief should affect our behavior. Right? Uh, the principles should be borne out in our lives to demonstrate that we have truly been changed as a Christian. He says in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 that our, our affections, our love, what we, what we desire should be focused in on what's in heaven, Jesus Christ. Our mindset be, should be as such that we're focused in on what's in heaven and what's to come, as uh, Steve so eloquently put just a minute ago. And then he says, if, you've, if you're a new person in Christ, excuse me, if you've been raised with Christ in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, then we should put away those fleshly impulses. And he talked about that in verses 5, basically 2, verse 11. We, we should kill those impulses in the mind before they turn into actions. And we should kill them, we should put them away. And then we should put on... Christ's likeness. It's a picture of clothes, right? We put off those evil impulses and we put on Christ's likeness. And that's the picture. And then, he, and then it's interesting because he says, he says, after we put on those things in verses 12 and 13 and, and how we deal with each other, he says that we, we put on the bond of love, right? The, the love is the last piece of clothing that we put on that, that governs everything that we do and say among the fellowship, among those that we come in contact with. And, and we put on that love and we, we let peace rule in our hearts in verse 15. And then 16, verse 16 excuse me, of chapter 3, he says, The Word of Christ dwells within you. That's, it's to govern our behavior. The Word of God is the standard which we live by. And we have a new identity in Christ. And that identity causes us to live differently, living according to God's standard. And then in verse 17 he says, look, This is our new purpose in life. Our new purpose is everything we do in word or deed, we do in the name of Jesus Christ. If you do something in someone's name, what are you doing? You're you're doing it for their reputation, for their glory. So that's our new purpose. Well, then Paul says, look, you had this new purpose. Well, and you have this, this new person that you are. How are you to live out your life in the relationships that you have? And it's interesting when he starts this new, this new um, not new section, but continues this new, new thought about how we should live our lives as new believers or as believers, he begins with the fundamental building block of society. This is the building block that is that is society was built on and established at creation. And what is this building block, you may ask? And it is the family. And by necessary, by necessity, excuse me, the biblical marriage. The family was what 
unit that God established first. It wasn't the government, but it was the family. One man and one woman in a committed marriage before the Lord. And children produced through this union would be taught obedience and submission to authority and love and fear of the Lord. And we all know what happened, right? Genesis. Eve was deceived by Satan into rebellion and she led her husband into sin. And they both were guilty of disobeying God and sin entered the world. The sin nature they passed on to their offspring and to every human from that point on, every person born is born a sinner. And you know what? Man's sinful heart is what separates him from God. What separates him, why there's conflict between men and women and between other men and between other women. That's why there's conflict between us and the world. It's because of the sinfulness of our hearts. Sin always separates. Sin separates. That's a constant in the biblical uh, account. So the root of all this loneliness, despair, hopelessness, it comes from a lack of of knowledge and understanding of God and His purpose and the condition that men find themselves in. You see, all anger and slander and fighting come from a self-centeredness that comes from the focus of our sinful hearts. And this conflict, unfortunately, also manifests itself in our marriages. In the past, people understood the importance of marriage, even in the life of the children. And even if the husband and wife didn't get along, they would remain married and they would stay together for the sake of the children. But now in our society, in the Western world, marriage has little value and luster for younger generations. They have learned from their parents that marriage doesn't really matter when it comes to to having and raising children. If they get married, they they look at marriage as a convenience to be discarded the minute that it doesn't suit them or it doesn't meet their felt needs. And I looked at Australian divorce rates, and it's interesting that Australian divorce rates are actually dropping and have been dropping for the last 30 years. And on the surface, you would say, well, that's a great thing. But the reality is that the average marriage lasts only 12 years in Australia. And the average divorce rate or the average divorce age, excuse me, for men and women is in their mid-40s. But the reason that the divorce rate is dropping is very simple. More and more people are choosing not to get married, right? It's just simple statistics. When they decide to to cohabitate and to live with their quote-unquote partner, That's a term we don't quite use as much in the United States, but I've learned that very quickly here that people call whoever it is they stay with their partner. In the States, there's still kind of that little bit of stigma. We call them their girlfriend or boyfriend, but I don't say their partner. Partner is reserved for your spouse. So the number of couples cohabitating has increased from 16% in 1976, this is in Australia, to 81% in 2016. In fact, I was counseling a couple recently and we were talking about purity in marriage and their friends don't understand why they aren't living together before marriage. They don't get it. And the simple answer is we're Christians and we, we want to love Christ more than we want to love our sin. Would Western society clearly in decay and the effects of sin running rampant among us, what is the remedy for this dark and decaying world? 
Well, the remedy is the gospel, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.13, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Paul says that it is in Him whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And later in Colossians 1.22, he says that He has reconciled you. You no longer separated from God by the guilt, by your sin. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been born again. You have a new nature and you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ. You see, our union with Christ affects all aspects of our life. It affects our relationships among each other as believers in Christ, in the the body of Christ. And then it affects our relationships in our families. We see this. We are able to resist the sinful impulses of the flesh, and we are able to obey Christ. And this is demonstrated in our love for each other and our love for those in our own families. So individually and corporately, your lifestyle and your behavior toward others is different than what it was. You're no longer governed by your fleshly desires, but instead you live with a new purpose. And that's one of the things when you think about marriage, you think about Paul's prohibition in marriage, he says, look, as a believer, marry whoever you want. If you're a young person in here, he says, marry whomever you want as long as they're in the Lord. Because if they are not in the Lord, then they have a different purpose in life. Their purpose is to gratify their desires. They're governed by their lust and their sinful hearts. If you're a believer, you're governed by a different purpose. I counsel believers. And they, they're, whether it's a girl or a guy, counsel both, their, their desire to get married, get married is so strong that they're willing to, to ignore the biblical command because their, their, their loneliness and their lack of trust in the Lord reaches a point where I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means marrying an unbeliever because I want to fulfill that desire for companionship in my heart. Now, the desire for companionship is, is, a, is a noble thing, but we have to trust the Lord and obey Him. So we've received a new purpose, a new nature in Christ, and and that should have an effect on your family life. And that's Paul's purpose here in verses 18 through 21, and we're going to read that in just a moment. The, The new life you have in Christ should affect the way you treat your spouse, wives, and husbands. We demonstrate our obedience to God's standard by how we live our lives. Recently, I read an article about a bridge that Germany and Switzerland were building over the Rhine River, separating the two countries. It's called the High Rhine Bridge, located in the mouth of the Rhine River. And they began building this bridge, and the Germans started on one side, and the Swiss started on the other. And as they, as they were building towards each other, they realized that the bridge was off by 54 inches. And they, as they started looking at it, well, how, I mean, the Germans and the Swiss are pretty much known for being great engineers. How could these two great engineering countries miss on a bridge by 54, 50, excuse me, 54 centimeters? Let me get my, my measurements straight. 54 centimeters. Well, what, what had happened is the, the Germans based their height measurements off of sea level, and so did the Swiss. But they both used different seas. The Germans used the North Sea, and the Swiss used the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a difference in height of approximately 27 centimeters. And so if someone knew about that difference, and instead of making the adjustments, they accidentally doubled the amount. 
And so they're using different standards. And so any builder will tell you that if you have two people building a building or building a bridge and they have a different standard of measurements, they're going to end up with, what, a bad bridge. They're going to end up with something they didn't want. Believers, it's up to us to ignore the voices in society and our culture that tell us how we should raise our families and how we should live as married couples and how we should teach, if you're older generation, how you should, you should teach the younger generation. We need to ignore those, those voices telling us how we should, the family should be and we need to focus in on the standard, standard excuse me, that really matters. This is the standard that is unchanging and it's the standard that we use and we should use as Christians. And today we're going to look at that standard in Colossians 3, 18 through 21. And I've titled this section, like I, the last section, I titled it, this section, Marriage 101. Right, last section was Body Life 101. We have, this section is Married Life 101. We're going to look at two points. We're going to look at the wife's submission brings honor to Christ and the husband's love brings honor to Christ. And let's look down verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. We're going to stop there, and it's doubtful we'll get through all this today. So marriage 101. So first of all, Paul says, look, in light of your new life in Christ, in light of your new purpose to honor the Lord in all things. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. First of all, I need to say that Paul here, unlike those in his time, in the culture, he actually addresses women in a group setting. Okay? So for those ladies that, that would have been living in that time, you would not have been allowed to speak and you wouldn't have been addressed in a cultural setting, especially in a Greek context. In fact, in Greek context, you wouldn't have been allowed to go to a public meeting. Right? Now, religious, religious worship was exempt, but any kind of other public meeting, you wouldn't be allowed to attend. So Paul is elevating women just for the sheer fact that he is addressing you as equals in the congregation. He's saying women, and these are, are wives, particularly married women, he's addressing you individually. He's elevating your status because he's getting ready to address men. And he doesn't say, men, tell your wives this. He says, ladies. He says, women. So he's elevating you already. And then he says, look, he says, submit to your husbands. Well, well what is submission? Well, submission speaks of willingly placing yourself under someone else's authority. It has to do with order. The word in Greek literally means under order. So it's, a, it's the way things are ordered. It describes soldiers, soldiers excuse me, willingly arranging themselves under the leadership of their commander. Now, soldiers have to obey orders, but following leaders is another thing. They, they love to follow. Soldiers love to follow great leaders. Right? It's a voluntary and personal attitude that is to be an abiding condition for you ladies towards your husbands. And now this idea of submission is common in the New Testament. Lest you think that Paul is singling you out, ladies, and saying you do something that no one else is required to do, it was used, the same term was used to speak of Jesus when he submitted to his parents' authority in Luke 2. It's also used of, of us 
as a general church, submitting to God's law. We submit willingly to God's law and obey God's law in Romans 8, 7. It's used to speak of our submission to the government. Peter says, submit yourselves to the authorities in your life, and especially the government in 1 Peter 2, 13. Right? You, you don't want to submit to government, then you'll see what happens, right? We also are told to submit to the elders in the church in 1 Peter. Each one of us submits to those leaders that God has given for our benefit. And then finally, and most importantly, in Ephesians 5, 24 and 1 Corinthians 15, it term is used to speak of each one of us individually submitting to Jesus Christ's lordship. Right? We are to submit to Jesus Christ. There's an older movie that my wife and I like to watch, and it's, it's kind of a war movie. And in this war movie, the soldier is captured, and he's being kind of disrespectful to the, um, the enemy commander. And the enemy commander comes up to him, and he says in a firm voice, Submit, Captain. Submit. Because the captor, captain, excuse me, the captured soldier was, was being disrespectful. And basically, the enemy commander said, look, you need to pay me and others the honor that is due to us. Now, he didn't know the plan was to let him free because the enemy commander wanted to send a message to the other side and he was going to let the soldier go. But he, he required at least a, a, a small amount of respect from this guy. And so he says, submit. He him to give the honor that was due. Well, wives, Paul, Paul says, look, you are to submit. He, he's assuming a, a level of autonomy. He's assuming that you have the personal choice. Right? He's saying you're, you're, to, you're to be subject to, you're, you're to have this kind of attitude that to be characteristic of your life. It's a joyful submission where your, your heart and, and is, is oriented towards your husband in an intimate, personal relationship, and you want to serve Him. It's, it's graciousness, it's respect, it's appreciation, it's encouragement, it's tender support to your husband as the God-ordained leader in the home. It's being His helpmate and loving Him. And see, the, the greatest challenge for us as believers and for you ladies, is that it is a visual picture of Christ in the church. If you flip over to Ephesians, just a few pages over, Ephesians 5, verse 22, Paul says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, and the Christ also being head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. So the, the church, the, the picture of the husband and wife relationship is a picture of Christ and the church. Just as we, the church, submit to Jesus Christ and His leadership, the wife is to submit to her husband. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter. He talks about Sarah. And he, and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Look, wives, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, and they're unbelievers, they may be won without a word by your behavior. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be external merely, braiding of the hair, Gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. 
For in this way, former times, the holy women also, they hoped in God, they used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened with any fear. It's interesting that she said she called him Lord. Those of you that know the the story of Abraham and how he gave his wife Sarah to two different men and God had to miraculously intervene to protect her from her husband's ill-conceived plan, said that, what does Sarah do? Sarah trusted in God, hoped in God in in a circumstance that that was not good, but she also what showed her husband respect even if he didn't deserve it. That's submission. Right? Submission is, is you, you show honor where it's due for God's sake, not for your husband's sake. You do it because God requires it of you. Now, one thing I need to say what submission is not. Submission is not obedience, blind obedience. Marriage, so many marriage vows, they say, well, I love, honor, and obey my husband. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Obedience is an aspect of submission. But submission is the broader principle. In fact, Paul actually says, children, be obedient to your parents or slaves. Obey your masters. He used a different word. So he's not talking about just, I'm going to be obedient to my husband like he's a, a lord and taskmaster over me. It's broader. It has to do with when it's appropriate for our relationship. Wives, if your husband asks you to do something that goes against Scripture or goes against your conscience, you have the freedom to refuse. Right? He's, he's not a king and a lord over you. And understand also that, ladies, you have the same spiritual privileges and status in God's eyes. Galatians 3.28 says that there's neither male nor female, right? slave nor free, Jew or Gentile. We all have the same spiritual status. So you are equal at the foot of the cross, to use that term. In God's eyes, you're equal. There's different roles, but you're all equal. That's an elevation of women, right? In those days, women, women were, were, were viewed pretty, pretty lowly. Right? It was a, you had a wife to have kids, and then she, you just kind of like, all right, well, I'll do what I want to do. Right? And it also, one thing, ladies, it doesn't mean, submission doesn't mean that you have to take abuse. Right? I'm making sure you're very clear about that. God has given the government for the protection of innocence and the punishment of people who do wrong. First Peter. Ladies, you don't have to take abuse. Right? You have people that can help you. God has given the government, He's given if your father, if your father's still alive, you're younger, He's given the elders of the church to help. Right? There are people in your life to help you in those regards. And you know, He's very specific too. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. You're not subject to every man. Right? You don't have to submit to every man other than you submit to the government or you submit to the elders. But You're not submitting to every person in your life. It's a very specific, intimate relationship to your husbands that you have entered into. It's a covenant promise relationship. It's, it's not an inferior position. Because in Philippians 2, that Jesus submitted Himself to the Father's will when He was on the earth. Does that mean Jesus was inferior to the Father? No. There's a headship principle in play. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. 
We're talking about roles and order in the home. It's a picture of the covenantal love, again, of Christ and His church. I was counseling a young couple again and recently, and I was, I was talking about marriage, and, and I was talking to the husband, and I said, do you realize that God is going to hold you responsible for the spiritual well-being of your, of your spouse, of your wife? She's to submit to you. You're to lead. That God's going to hold you responsible for leading your home so that your wife will become what? Blameless and holy. That's what Christ desires for the church, that it will be presented to the Father blameless and holy. That's, as a husband, that's our responsibility. All right, what a tremendous, tremendous uh, accountability that's going to incur. Right? Wives, you have the responsibility to submit to your husband's leadership, but we have the responsibility to help you grow in Christ. And he says, look, do this what is fitting to the Lord in verse 18 at the end. This is how the submission is to take place. We, we, uh, wives, you submit to the Lord first, right? That, that is always that submission to the Lord. You, it's not something strange that he's asking you to do because you're already submitting to Christ. Husbands, you're submitting to Christ. Individually, we submit to Christ. We submit to Him as Lord first of all. And now, this isn't a cultural custom. If you're doing this in accordance to what is fitting as the Lord, then it never changes. It doesn't matter what age we live in. Wives, you submit to the Lord always. Because this is the way God created the roles at marriage. What was fitting. All of our relationships are to be first grounded in Christ, and then they're to move outward from there. You know, my, my mentor used to tell me, and he, this, was, this was right, and it really took, took to heart. He used to say that all ministry is just an extension of your walk with the Lord. Well, wives, the submission that you, you have to your husband is always an extension of your walk with the Lord. Husbands, loving your wife sacrificially, as we're going to talk about, comes first of all from loving Christ sacrificially. Wives, you love Christ. You submit to Christ, and then you submit to your husbands. You see, Christ, not our popular culture, defines what is fitting for believers. We know that submission is God's plan because we're to do it to other people. It's God's plan for us to, to learn to submit to authority. Right? As parents, and if those of you who want to be parents, we teach our kids to submit to authorities because if they can't submit to the authorities that they can see, then how can they submit to God's authority whom they can't see? Right? God has put authorities in our life for a specific purpose. Brothers and sisters, He gives you the power to do it. Sisters, He gives you the power to do it with joy. And if you, if you do submit and you do it willingly, it will be a great blessing to you and your family and it will be a great fulfillment to you. Now, Paul continues and he says, Look, the wife's submission brings honor to Christ because it's different. It's countercultural. It shows that, there's a, that Christ has changed you. You're different than the other women in the world. But he says, husbands, love your wife, or loving your wife brings honor to Christ. In verse 19, he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. What is love? Love is a, a habitual, regular act. It's a command here. It's a present imperative for Jordan. It's a lifelong commitment characterized by self-sacrifice and service without the need of anything in return. That's agape love. 
Let me say that again. Agape love. We're not talking about eros, which is a sexual love, or phileo, which is, which is friendly love. We're talking about agape love, the highest form of love. It's a lifelong commitment characterized by self-sacrifice and service without the need of anything in return. The best person that, that exemplifies this is Jesus Christ. God so loved the world what, that He gave His only begotten Son. While we were still sinners, Christ, what? He died for us. Okay? So, husbands, it means putting your wife's needs above your own. Right? It means in spite of, of all the church's many failings, in spite of the, the church's sins, that Christ has continually loved His bride, the church, with grace and mercy, and He's never become embittered against His church. That's your attitude that you should have towards your wife. This is culturally shocking. You say, well, what's so shocking about love? Well, in the days, these particular days, the Greeks and the Romans, they would have wives for kids and mistresses for love, right? That, there was a double standard. Everybody knew about it. Wives weren't allowed to cheat on their husbands, but there was nothing against a husband committing adultery on his wife, right? That, that was the way the majority of things worked. So for, a, for Paul to come in and say, no, no, husbands, you love your wives like Christ loved the church, you be dedicated to her alone, then it returns the idea of marriage back to its original intent. It restores the original intent of Genesis where you have one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship raising kids to the glory of God. Instead of husbands get to do what they want and treating their wives like property, it's about husbands loving their wives in a unique, singular relationship. It's not based off of, of passion, though there is passion involved, or emotion, even though there's emotion involved, but it's based off a choice that's demonstrated in self-sacrifice. Husband, you say you love your wives, then I want to see you sacrifice and serve your wife. And he says, look, love, love your wives. Love, it, it, the wives, it comes out of our submission to Christ. Guys, if we're submitting to Jesus Christ, it goes back to that. If we're submitting and our, and our purpose is to do everything in His name, to His glory, then you will love your wife. Right? It's, a, it's a reciprocal relationship. The idea that, that husbands and wives are, are commanded to love each other and, and to not have anybody else. In fact, immorality was so accepted that unless it, it went into the extremes... Most Greek and Romans didn't think anything among it. Think anything about it, excuse me. So this is a this is a counterculture. This is shocking. Husbands, love your wives. Don't have mistresses. Don't, don't treat her as property. Love her even more important as someone even more important than your own selves. That's agape love. Right? Wives, the thing that, that you're commanded to do is to have Submission and joy of your husbands. And the temptation for that is to chafe under his leadership with a desire to dominate. It goes back to Eve. Husbands, we're commanded to deliver our wives. The temptation is to, is to necessarily uh, abuse that leadership role. But Christ asks us to do something that's impossible outside of the Holy Spirit's empowerment. You see, the wife's submission is to operate within the context of her husband's love. She is protected... If he, if he is acting in a truly, uh, acting as a truly loving husband, right? He's not asking her to do anything that's humiliating, that's degrading, that violates her conscience because he loves her. 
You see, the absence of love, guys, will cause your wife to feel insecure, uncertain. And when she feels insecure, she will respond with possessiveness and cleanliness and complaining and nagging. So if you have those things in your home, and guys, you have to ask yourself, are you loving your husbands as Christ loves His church? I love what Matthew Henry, Henry says. He says, look, the woman was made of a rib out of the sight of Adam. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. You see, husbands, you, you don't want to be embittered against your, against your wife. Anger, resentment, harshness, Bitterness are ways that you are things, excuse me, that you are commanded to avoid in the way you treat your wife. You know, Paul is Paul is serious in the sense that he makes this a command. It's a it's a present imperative. In other words, it's something you continually habitually are not to do. You're not to treat your wife harshly or, or bitterly. You're not to display a, a, a continual temper or resentment towards your wife. Because this always begins with those sinful impulses. Remember we talked about that? How you, you stop those sinful impulses in the mind. You kill them. You put them off. Right? You replace that, that anger or resentment or whenever that, that starts to bubble up, you replace it with what? Love. One of the things that I used to teach my, my assistants when I worked as a manager restaurant, uh, I was teaching them about leadership. I used to say, you know, leadership means sacrifice and service out of love. Right? So I'm teaching these, these young skulls full of mush, these young students, these young kids. That's what they were, 20 or early 20s. You know, what is leadership? No one's really talking about leadership. Well, leadership is, is sacrifice and service. And if they're demonstrating sacrifice and service because they actually care for those under their charge, guess what those people are going to do? They're going to emulate them. And they're going to de- demonstrate sacrifice and service to others. And not only people that are employees, but to the customers. Right? It all starts at the top, husbands. Leadership means sacrifice and service. You're not a lord, you're not a king, sacrifice and service. Uh, MacArthur has a great quote. John MacArthur says, Paul tells husbands not to call their wives honey and then act like vinegar themselves. That was a good quote. You see, there is a mutual concern for each other, that, that's, that we seek to please each other. Wives, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 33, that, that we're to seek our mutual benefit. Wives, you want, I know you want to find out what's pleasing to your husbands. Husbands, you want to find out what's pleasing to your wives. You know, Jesus is the great example of this. He's a great example of, of servant, a servant example that we're, we should follow. Excuse me. And husbands, if you go back to first, since we read First Peter and we talked about wives, I think it's only appropriate we look at First, first Peter chapter three when it comes to husbands. He says in First Peter chapter three verse seven. He says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And this verse is so packed. I mean, husbands, you you live with your wives with an understanding way. You, You try to understand who she is. You have knowledge of who she is, what pleases her, what she likes, what she doesn't like. 
right? What's, what are her desires? What are some things she would love to have? Right? You could easily spend that money on yourself. What is your wife like? Do you really know her? And he says, look, you live with her in an understanding way since she is weaker. Now, it's not an insult to women. Ladies, physically not as strong. But the other thing this points out is, ladies, if you're in willful submission, as, Paul, excuse me, as Peter has just said, then you placed yourself in a weaker uh, position, a position that could be easily exploited by a domineering husband. But as husbands, you're to show her honor. And I love this. As a fellow heir, she is your equal. Guys, your, your wife is your equal. Older, older folks, seasoned citizens. You, you know, if, you're, if you're a seasoned citizen here, you have an opportunity to help these younger wives understand how to submit and love their husbands. You have a chance, if you're an older man, to, to teach these younger men how to love their wives is more important than themselves, to treat their wives as their equal, as their partner, real partner, in a committed, loving relationship. Now, I, I read this story, and Brighton and uh, Ryan will recognize it, uh, out, of a, out of a particular book about what every... Every, let me get the title right. What every man wishes his father had taught him. And in this, he gives an example of sacrificial love. And I think it's such a powerful story. I'd like to read part of it with you today. It says, Muriel McQuilkin, the wife of Robertson, who was the former president of Columbia International University, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease at the zenith, the height of her husband's career. Alzheimer's, the slow darkness, overtakes his victims in an ever-increasing dementia until the person vanishes behind a tangle of a confused mind. This disease is way too prevalent among our elderly. And in the beginning, Robertson was able to juggle his responsibilities as a caregiving husband and president of a thriving institution. But before long, it was no longer possible to be adequate at both. And in the intervening, intervening days, he wrestled with the inevitable question, should I institutionalize my wife or not? And a powerful image appeared in his mind, and would anyone love her at all, let alone love her as I do? And he said, I have often seen the empty, listless faces of those lined up in wheelchairs along the corridors of such places, waiting, waiting for the fleeting visit of some loved one. Eventually, Robertson resigned his post as president to take up his basin as servant. He walked away from prominence and influence in a posture of servitude. Many people assumed that the decision would have been regretful on some levels. And after all, he gave away so much. But his answer was always the same. She is such a delight to me. I don't have to care for her. I get to. What an example to us. Of, of Christ's love towards a spouse. Husbands, do you love your wives in that way? Right? Do you love your wives in a sacrificial way that, that shows that she is the most important thing to you? More important than even your own well-being. Gentlemen, you are the catalyst in your homes. If you love Christ, then love your wives. They are looking to you. If, if your wives, if they're stubborn, love them anyway. Wives, if your husband's stubborn, lovingly submit to him anyway. Be an example. Just as Christ is an example to you when you're stubborn, and you're irritable, right? And you're sinful. 
Husbands, love your wives and they're equal. They're your partner. They're your helpmate. Ladies, joyfully submit to your husbands as your helpmate, as your friend, as your comforter. Someone who wants to be with you, your confidant, your protector, and your leader. Help him to be the leader that you want him to be and that God needs him to be. You know, both of us, for husbands and wives, Christ gives you the strength to accomplish his will. He doesn't leave you on your own. He's given you a new, right, new nature in Christ, and he's given you the Holy Spirit. You will honor Christ in your marriages if you submit to him first, and then you love each other the way that you should. So individually, you are a new creation in Christ. You're in him in a union that will last forever. You're in, also, you're in union with everybody called the church, right? Each one of us. Paul says you have a new purpose. So in everything that you do, you want to honor Christ. And this is an opportunity for you guys to honor Christ in your marriages. Your marriage is a testimony to a changed heart in this world. And it's a new life in Christ. It's the gospel that brings us together as individuals. It's the gospel that helps our marriages survive. And it's the gospel is what we share with the world as we demonstrate the original pattern that God intended for marriage. You know, my kids like to watch these animal shows that are in HD. It's amazing what they've got nowadays. And they were watching uh, Wild Australia on TV the other day. And they were talking about the intertidal zone in Queensland where the, the rivers come into the ocean. They were talking about these feral pigs. And they made this statement. They said these feral pigs were, are usually cautious. But every once in a while, they'll ignore the danger to them. And they let the stomachs or let their stomachs, let their desires override their brains. And then they say, before you know it, old salty. Crocodiles, snap them up. Well, believers, Christian marriage is not like marriages between unbelievers. We are not ruled by our stomachs. We are not ruled by our passions and desires. We are ruled by Jesus Christ. And that's how we're to live out our lives towards each other, individually towards other people. And as, and as a couple, we're to live our lives to honor Jesus Christ. We love even if it's not returned. And I love what 1 Corinthians says, and we'll, we'll sum up this section. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as most of you know, is a chapter about love. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries, and have all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to even remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It does not provoke it does not take an account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves His church. Wives, love your husbands and demonstrate that in joyful submission. This is God's plan for the family. 
This is the ideal that he wants us to live out. This is how we demonstrate that Christ has changed our lives. And we as a couple, and you as a couple, are a light in the darkness. I pray that this would be true in your lives and that you would honor the Lord in your marriages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace towards us, first of all. Lord, how you've loved us when we didn't deserve it. How you sacrificed yourself for us. Lord, how you submitted your will to the Father in the predetermined plan of God to sacrifice yourself, to be the atonement for sin. Father, I thank you that we first of all could be redeemed by you, reconciled to God by your sacrifice, that we have a new nature, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and Lord, we submit ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, that the love that we have for you would be demonstrated in our, in our marriages. Lord, to be demonstrated in, in our family life. Lord, I pray that no matter what stage of life we're in, that we would be an example to you, an example of love and service. Pray for those that are single here, Father, that you would help them to find godly spouses. Pray that, pair their hearts and their minds now to, to be the spouses that they'll need to be at that time. Bring others into your life to, to, to help them to grow, to teach them. Pray that you'd use the, the seasoned citizens here in the, in the congregation to help teach the younger women, the younger men. Father, use each other. Use us all in each other's lives for your glory. Lord, we thank you again. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.